We're in Defending the Faith, Part 4. Tonight we're going to cover where did the universe come from. And uh, I'll be honest with you, the last two sessions, um, if it was over your head, that's totally my fault. It was, a, you know, after I shared last week, I thought, you know, that really felt like more of a college lecture. And while some people thrive on that and really, you know, want something really deep, I felt like I could communicate uh, what I was trying to communicate on a little easier, a little easier to follow. Some things were a little complicated and not very easy to follow. So I'm going to try to keep things easier to follow tonight. Um, so we're going to answer the question, where did the universe come from? Because when we share our faith and we share our faith with people who do not um, believe in God and they've maybe never read the Bible, uh, I actually posted a video um, and, and I thought it was uh, funny and, and I'm sure it offended all my atheist friends. <clears throat> but um, this guy, he's a comedian and so he uh, is out playing golf with this other comedian who's a multimillionaire, retired at the height of his uh, comedic ability, not Jimmy, uh, not Jerry Seinfeld, but this, this uh, other comedian who retired and at the height of his career and was doing great. So they go and play golf together. And so um, he, he said in the course of playing golf with this guy, discover he is a Christian. He's a born-again Christian. And so, you know, the guy started asking me questions about God. I'm like, no, 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 I don't, I don't believe in that. I'm an atheist. And the guy said, okay, well, have you read the Bible? And he said, no, I haven't read the Bible. He said, well, then you're not an atheist. You're a moron. <laughs> he said, because an atheist is a person who has studied all the world religions, studied their holy books, studied the vast expanses of, of, of uh, space, and discovered there is absolutely no proof, no evidence, and no reason to ever logically believe that there is any sort of intelligent designer, any creator. There is no evidence whatsoever in all of biology, astronomy, physics, chemistry, the farthest reaches of space. And so he said, just do me a favor. Don't call yourself an atheist. Just call yourself a moron. Now... If you don't want to be a moron, read the Bible. And uh, so um, it turns out that over the course of time, the guy did open up, start reading the Bible, and God wait, I mean, God got this guy right when he was struggling, and God reached out and spoke to him and tr- absolutely transformed this guy's life. Um, and uh, so it was really powerful. But, you know, when we come across people uh, who are curious about, okay, if there's a God... Um, then why is there, you know, who created the universe? Um, Why, as we look at the vast expanse of the universe, why is there something instead of there being nothing? Where did that something come from? Who created that something? Who put that something there? Um, How did they create it? And so these questions lead us to an ultimate question. Do the facts lead to the conclusion that there is a supernatural creator? Do the facts, the facts, not opinions, but do the facts give us enough evidence to show there is a creator, a designer, a sustainer of the universe and all of the life within it? So the main points um, that we believe uh, regarding a, a, a Christian worldview of where the universe comes from. It's on your paper. It says, first of all, our universe was created by an infinite being out of nothing. That means that the infinite being created the entire universe out of nothing. The, the phrase, uh, the Latin phrase there is ex nihilo, 
out of nothing. He didn't create it out of something. He created it out of nothing. The second point is the universe could not have caused itself. It had a beginning, and it must have a cause for existence. And number three, the design of the universe points to a designer. Creative order and beauty do not happen randomly. The order, structure, and design of the universe prove an intelligent creator. Now, the counterpoints, the things that people say who are skeptics and do not agree and do not see the world the way we view it, this is what they say. They say, number one, the universe came to it through evolution, not through an intelligent designer. They say there are no scientifically legitimate reasons to reject evolution. Number two, they say that intelligent design is rejected because it's not science. It's not testable, it's not observable, and it's not predictable. And number three, since the Bible is not a science textbook, even some Christians prefer to keep faith and science separate. I will agree to that final point. The Bible is not a science textbook. It is not a history textbook. And when you look to the Bible to try to prove something, it's not trying to prove you're going to, uh, you're going to be disappointed. The Bible is not a science textbook. It's a love story from cover to cover, from the first sentence to the last sentence. It is a love story of God loving people, creating this world for people to inhabit, for him to love, and for them to love him. So when you look at the Bible and treat it as something it isn't, you're going to be disappointed. So the question is, where did it all come from? And this is where we're going to start. It's called the cosmological argument. And I'm going to do my best to not give you too many big words and and too many fancy scientific words. But just so you know, that's what this is called, the cosmological argument. Simply put, all effects have a cause. Okay? If you see a football flying in the air, you know it didn't happen to thrust itself in the sky on its own. We don't have that problem. When you're walking around the sporting goods section in academy, you don't see footballs just flying all over the place going, they're literally jumping off the shelf. We don't have that problem. You witness the effect, so you know there's a cause. Somebody threw that football. If a baseball breaks your window, what is your first question? Who threw the baseball? Because you know that baseballs aren't just throwing themselves. They don't have the ability to do that. So someone, because there's an effect, there is a cause. Um, If you see, for instance, broken glass uh, up against uh, a brick wall at the bottom of a brick wall, you see the effect. So the question you ask, ask yourself is, what is the cause? And the cause is that you know somebody threw a glass bottle against the brick wall. That's how all the glass showed up at the bottom of the wall into all the tiny pieces you see. You don't need to be a firsthand eyewitness to the cause. All you need to do is see the effect, and you can infer the cause. Uh, the effect that you do see is the evidence that you need in order to prove the cause. And so as we move backward in time, there is what's called the dateless past, um, this prehistoric time period where there was no recorded history. And if you keep moving back before life on earth, before our planet was formed, before the universe was formed, you find what is called, and this is your first blank, the first cause. If you keep moving back before life on earth, before our planet was formed, before the universe was formed, you find what's called the first 
cause. Now, the next logical question is, if every effect has a cause, what caused the first cause? Well, science has proven that the universe came into existence a finite time ago, and that's incredibly important. It's incredibly important that science has actually dated the universe, and they've dated it at 13.8 billion years. And they do that through a number of scientific methods, the laws of uh, second law of thermodynamics, entropy, and all these other things, which I won't bore you with, but they are able to prove and demonstrate how far back it looks like uh, the universe was created, 13.8 billion years ago, give or take a week. Because of that, because they have been able to prove that the universe came into existence a finite time ago, um, a cause is needed to explain the, its existence. The universe's origin is not the first cause. It's the first effect. The universe came into existence. So I'll say that again just to make sure you're with me. The universe's existence is not the first cause. It's the first effect. God is the first cause. He is the one who puts things in their place. He is the one who causes things to exist in the first place. One Christian philosopher put it this way. He said, the universe began to exist. Whatever begins to exist has a cause for its existence. Therefore, the universe has a cause for its existence. Now, Again, this is important because science, atheists will be more specific because just because you're a scientist doesn't mean you're an atheist. Atheists believe that the universe is a a product of evolution. It happened. It created itself, um, which is ridiculous. It doesn't doesn't follow through any logical uh, explanation that the universe itself caused itself. Um, The fact that it started a finite time ago is proof of our theory over their theory. If the universe were infinite, if there were no beginning, then there, were no, there, then there would be no cause. If there's no cause, or if there, if, I'm sorry, if the universe began an infinite time ago, there is no effect, there's no cause. That whole line doesn't exist uh, because the existence of the universe didn't happen, so it's not an effect. But it did happen. It is an effect. And so because it was created a finite time ago, 13.8 billion years ago, there clearly was a cause for it to exist. Somebody made the universe. Astronomer Robert Jastrow said, theologians are generally delighted with the proof that the universe had a beginning. But astronomers are curiously upset. It turns out that the scientist behaves the way the rest of us do when our beliefs are in conflict with the evidence. The laws of thermodynamics point to one conclusion that the universe had a beginning. That means that the universe is not always existent. The fact that there is creation, as I said last week, the fact that there is creation implies a creator. Just like a painting implies a painter. A building implies a builder. A novel, a book, implies a writer. They don't, they don't just make themselves. You don't have steel and metal and concrete just walking up to each other and just you know, slamming up against each other and creating the Trump Tower. 
you don't have words, letters, randomly uh, putting themselves together to create Agatha Christie novels. That doesn't happen. The fact that you have a book in your hand implies there was a creator. The book is the effect, and there's a cause. There is a person who put that into place. So <clears throat> every, uh, it has a beginning. Paintings and buildings and books and the universe all have a beginning. I can't look at my hand. Like, I'm a, I'm a pretty, pretty resourceful, creative individual, but I can't look at my hand and command a marshmallow to appear. Now, that would be a pretty good party trick. You know, and you, you can watch the, the TV shows of magicians who, you know, pull out a, you know, a, a rabbit or pull, do some sort of magic trick, and it's, it's amazing. You're like, well, how did they do that? Um, and uh, I don't have the ability to create something out of nothing. If you looked at my hand and said there's no sugar, there's no marshmallow in my sleeve or anything like that, and if I just commanded marshmallow appear, then you'd be like, wow, I clearly am creating something out of nothing, but I don't have the ability to do that. But somebody, somebody has to have that ability because it's exactly what happened with the universe. Something came from nothing. The universe is the first effect, and so there's a first cause. Now, we often think a lot of times that science is us. It's, science is against us, and science is against God. But astronomers, astrophysicists, physicists, biologists, chemists, and so many other scientists have seen and acknowledged there is no other plausible explanation than there must be a creator. There is no plausible explanation other than there must be a creator. Another important point for you to consider is this. Whatever begins to exist has a cause for its existence. Whatever begins to exist has to have a cause for its existence. Now, that's not saying that everything must have a cause because, you know, clearly God did not have a cause. He has always existed. But whatever begins to exist has to have a cause for its existence. Every finite thing, this earth, the sun, moon, stars, galaxies, etc., every finite thing must have a cause. Something caused the universe and all of the matter within it to exist, and we know that something to be God. Now, let's look at the argument from design, the teleological argument. And again, without getting into too much jargon, uh, just so that you understand what this argument talks about, the teleological argument, the original the originator from, uh, for, for this, um, he gave an easy way to understand it. He wrote this. He said, suppose you're walking through a field and you stub your toe on a rock. You might ask yourself, how did that stone get there? And you might conclude, not unreasonably, the stone has always been there. You're just seeing it. Um, but it might have been there since the beginning of the creation of the earth, from the beginning of time. But let's say you go a few steps further and you come across a watch laying in the grass. You pick it up, you examine its detail, its complex inner workings, its, its uh, gears and, and all the springs and all the things that go into a watch working. 
Would it be unreasonable to conclude that like the stone, it had been there since the beginning of time? Well, clearly, there must have existed a time and place when someone formed the watch for the purpose for which it was created. The watch is incredibly complex, and it performs its functions so well, it is absolutely ridiculous to assume that the watch came into existence by accident. Because if you know anything about a watch, and we're not talking about the Apple watches, we're talking about real watches, regular watches, they have gears that have to fit a specific size. They have springs that have to be a specific size. They have a battery that is a specific size, or if you wind it up, there's a tension. The spring has to work properly. There are so many little pieces, and, and if you want the date, or if you're doing you know, all of the different other things on a watch that you can do, if you're going diving and you want a fancy watch, there's all these things that go into making a watch And they have to fit perfectly together. And if you don't believe me, you can actually probably go on YouTube and watch a video of them actually putting together a Rolex. And it's incredibly complex and it's incredibly detailed because every piece has to fit perfectly. And if it does not, it's trash. This $5,000 watch will be trash if the pieces don't fit exactly perfectly together. And the, th- the thought process that atheists have is that, well, it's not without reason. It's not without, um, it, it, it is possible. No, it is not. Because you don't dig in the dirt and find perfectly formed wheels and rotors and mechanisms. Oh, well, this clearly belongs to a watch. Man, isn't that serendipitous? I'm going to hold on to that for later so I can make a watch. No, it's, it's raw elements in the earth that we fashion and form into what that becomes the metal and the springs and the gears and all that stuff. But who put the metal in the ground for us to dig and form and fashion into all of these different things? A watch doesn't come by accident. It has a creator. There's a guy. His name is Dr. Hugh Ross. He's an astrophysicist and a Christian. And in his book, The Creator and the Cosmos, which is uh, the other handout that I provided uh, for you, he provided, and this is, oh gosh, this was back in the early 2000s. I, I don't, this is the third edition of his book. I don't remember. I didn't look at the uh, copyright when, it was, uh, when this was put out. But he provided 66 evidences for the fine-tuning of our galaxy to support life on Earth. I'm sure there are probably double that by now, if not more. But he gave 66 evidences. 66 things that had to be absolutely perfect for there to be any life on this planet. And when you think about this list, you have to think about the watch. Things that are so incredibly fine-tuned that if one of them is off, there is no life on earth. If one of them is just fractionally larger or smaller, there is no life on earth. And so I actually provided you a copy of those 66 things, things like the tilt of the planet's axis. 23.5 degrees. If it's too much, if it's off, then one uh, part of the earth gets too much sun, one part of the earth gets not enough. One part of the earth is uninhabitable, another part is uninhabitable as well because it's either too hot or too cold. Um, The amount of nitrogen in the atmosphere, if there's too much, we can't breathe it. If there's too much oxygen um, in the atmosphere, it causes problems as well. The age of our sun, our sun had to be in a perfect age in order for us to be 
in, in orbit around it so that we could uh, in, enjoy its effects of warmth, uh, the creation of the atmosphere, the, the uh, electromagnetic field around the planet that bounces uh, harmful uh, effects from the sun towards Earth. If we were any closer to the sun, it would be too hot to live. If we were any farther away, it would be too cold to live. As I said, I think, uh, uh, last week or the week before, if the moon were any closer, the water on the planet would overwhelm the uh, planet and we'd be water people. If it were any farther away, there'd be no uh, aquatic life on Earth. There'd be no fish. and There'd be all sorts of other problems. There, there would be a lot less fresh water for us to drink. There's no life on Earth. So there's all of these things that go into... Um, fine-tuning to allow there to be life on Earth, the, the age of our galaxy, the position of where our solar system is in the galaxy, the seismic activity that takes place on the Earth, the distance and mass of Jupiter, how far away Jupiter has to be in order for there to be life on Earth. And you'd think, what difference does that make? But it does make a difference because Jupiter, the position of Jupiter and the intense gravity of that planet captures a lot of near-Earth uh, orbiting uh, asteroids and, and all sorts of things, and it captures those things because of the mass of Jupiter. To prov- Huh? Yeah. It, it grabs all that stuff because there's a meteor belt, an asteroid belt, um, and it captures those in its gravity to prevent them from hitting the Earth. And again, Jupiter is a really long way away. But if it were any smaller or any larger, any closer or any farther... There would be significant uh, damage to the earth um, so a meteor could hit and we'd all be dead. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but at about 1235 this morning, an, an asteroid passed really, really close to earth and NASA was freaking everybody out about it. And like, you know, and they're like, but if this makes impact, you know, hopefully it would make impact in an uninhabited area. But if it did, it'd make a crater a mile wide. Now, you know, a mile's not that big, but when you're talking about a crater and you're talking about, let's say, the Heights or Rosenberg, well, you know, if it hits Rosenberg and it makes a crater a mile big, then the shock waves and the after effects, the radiation, the heat and all that stuff, that's a big event. And I was kind of freaked out last night. I was reading the news. I'm like, well, now I can't sleep. Where's this thing going to be? And so I'm a scrolling. I'm like, NASA, you know, I mean, wh- how close is it coming? 3.5 million miles. That's how close it was. And I'm like, are you serious? Why are you keeping me up at late at night for this? The next time it returns, it'll be about 35 million miles away from Earth. And I'm like, why are, you, why are we even talking about this? If it's 30 miles, that's a problem. I mean, if I can see it, yes. But at 3.5 million miles, I was pretty sure I would not be able to see it in the night sky. So they're freaking me out for nothing. The, the amount of chlorine in the atmosphere. Obviously, I'm sure you can understand too much, and that is really bad. You're not breathing that. How much iron is in the oceans and the soil? And, how, and, and on and on and on. 66 parameters, and I, I gave them to you so that you can see. From an astrophysicist point of view, 66 parameters that must be just right for there to be life on Earth. And this, these are just the ones we've discovered. There could be 10 times that many by now. And atheists want to tell us that through some accidental event, 
all the pieces of a watch formed themselves perfectly together, thrust themselves upon each other, and, uh, and the watch not only created itself, but it works perfectly with no need of a watchmaker. And we would understand that is completely ridiculous. And they know that it's completely ridiculous. But in their pride, they refuse to acknowledge that there is a creator. In their atheist worldview, they are their own God. Astronomer Robert Jastrow, which I quoted earlier, he has noted that the universe was constructed within very narrow limits in such a way that could support life on earth. He refused, I'm sorry, he refers to something called the anthro, anthropic principle. I'll get this right. The anthropic principle. And the anthropic principle is the view that the entire universe is created in such a way to support mankind. The entire universe is created in such a way to support mankind. There may be life on other planets. There may be. We have not scoured every galaxy, every Every solar system within our galaxy, we have not been able to determine whether there is life on Earth. I do not believe there is life on other, on other planets. Um, and there's, there's a, a, the explanation is that um, as soon as sin entered the Earth, decay. As soon as sin entered the world, decay began. And uh, because there is decay, we see that throughout space. Uh, we, we see all sorts of uh, things that exist now. Um, that are only exist because of decay. Uh, for instance, those of you who like alcohol, you only have alcohol because there's decay. It's a product of decay. I'm sorry to tell you that. In heaven, you won't be drinking beer or whatever else you drink uh, because there will be no decay. You'll get the greatest grape juice you've ever had, and you won't miss the wine one bit you won't go, well, all right, Jesus. I mean, this isn't bad, but you should have tasted, you know, the 1920 Le Fou. <clears throat> um, but anyway, so because sin into the world, death into the world, decay into the world, and decay has worked its way through the entire universe. And if to combat and to break the curse of sin, Jesus came to this planet, he died on cross on this planet and he preached uh, to uh, these people and their salvation if there were life on other planets then our sin could have affected them and then jesus isn't going to die again um, he died once for all but how would they know um, so anyway, it's a complex conversation. <laughs> is there life on other planets? We don't know. I don't, I don't think there is. There could be, but we haven't found it yet. Um, and uh, we've sent all sorts of radio uh, satellites and all sorts of stuff beaming, you know, Ice Ice Baby and the Beatles and all sorts of stuff. Please, you know, and, and the aliens, if there are any, are probably listening to some of the music we're sending them going, nope, there is no intelligent life on Earth. Have you listened to the stuff they're producing? This is awful. It's, you know, hang on sloopy. You know, it's three chords. It's just over and over and over. Uh, anyway, so what I think is fascinating, and I love, I read, I read uh, astronomy books. I, I love uh, studying science uh, because I believe that science is the pursuit of knowledge, and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of knowledge. So um, I don't believe that the more I learn about science tells me anything that makes me believe in God less. If anything, it makes me believe in God more. 
It makes me see the wonder and the awe. And one of the things I love about our, our solar system is that um, every one of our planets rotates the same way, except one. Venus spins in what's called retrograde. And it's like God flung the, the planets into place. He put them exactly where they needed to be, and he grabbed Venus and said, I'm going to freak the people out for just a second. And he spun it the other way. And he said, now, you know, Adam and Eve, you're not going to see this. But 6,000 years from now, we're going we're gonna to point some telescopes. They're going to point some telescopes. I'm going to put the, the, the metal in the ground for them to dig out and form satellites and shoot them up into space. And one day they're going to look at Venus and go, wait a minute. That one's going backwards. Why? Just because. I mean, you think about it. When you, when you Google um, and you look at the images from the Hubble telescope and you're seeing the Crab Nebula and the Sombrero Galaxy and... Um, there's one thing called the eye of God. I, I know the atheist astronomers lose their mind over stuff like that. But it looks like a human eyeball. And there's the, the hourglass nebula and all of these things. And what's so awesome to me is that we are the first generation to be able to ever see any of that. Every previous generation did not see those things. God did. The angels did. But humans did not. And now, for the first time, we are able to see those uh, elements, those things in space. And if anything, it is yet just another reason to just be in awe and wonder of an incredibly creative God who billions of years ago put those things in place, had these supernova happen just so he could be surrounded by this beauty and say one day, these guys are going to point the telescope in this direction, and man, it's going to blow their mind. <clears throat> I believe the universe was created in such a way to support mankind. We are, we're not the center of the galaxy. Um, we're not the center of the universe either. But we're exactly where we need to be for there to be life on Earth and for there to be life here. Another part of the teleological argument has to do with information. Okay, So there's two pieces of the teleological argument. The first is the purpose. That, that the watch doesn't create itself. There's a purpose. Um, there's a design. And because there's a design, there's a designer. The second part is information. All right? So let me, let me just give it to you this way. Easy, easy way to understand. Suppose you're driving across Texas, and you decide to take, at a large, you just, you decide to take a break um, on, on the shoulder, and there's a large boulder right there on the shoulder, and it's near a stream. Um, uh, and so looking at it, you know, as you, as you are at a little bit of a distance away from the boulder, it, it appears that the boulder has the letter T that's carved into it. You'd be like, well, that's interesting. And so you inspect it closer, and you realize that it probably happened over hundreds and hundreds of years of the stream rising and falling and, and cutting across the boulder at different ways. And, and, you know, the Grand Canyon, clearly water can cut through rock over time, and so you realize, well, you know, wow, that is really interesting that, that that stream, the water in that stream, over hundreds of years through the, the rising and the following, managed to carve a letter into this rock. Wouldn't that be interesting? Uh, and so you would just think, well, that's just the stream. Well, but what if... You came across the same boulder, and it didn't just have the letter T. 
what if the, the boulder had written on the side of it, welcome to Texas, now go back the way you came? Would you still think that the stream caused the writing? No, because it's passing information. And that's, the per, that's one of the elements of the teleological argument. There is complex information that is being communicated on the boulder that uh, could not possibly be the work of a sh- floodwaters over hundreds of years, mysteriously carving themselves into this boulder. Now, because you see how incredibly complex the information is, you can understand how that's just not possible that floodwaters could have caused this elaborate phrase, welcome to Texas, now go back the way you came. So what that tells us is the more complex the information, the more it proves intelligent design. The more complex the information, the more it proves intelligent design. Greatest example of this is DNA. Not only is DNA complex, but each part of it is in a specific place in order to create a specific thing for which that part part of the molecule is coded. Easy way to understand it is this. If you t- how many of you like playing Scrabble? Okay. Um, well, I don't. Um, because like as many books as I've read and, and all this and as, as good of a vocabulary as I have, I'm terrible at Scrabble. And so, I mean, my words are four letters, five if I'm really, really in, in the zone. I mean, that's it. I don't understand people who lay down like, oh, I, made, I used all my tiles. Who are you? Who does that? How is that even possible? I feel like I've got 14 Zs and two Xs. I mean, I can't make anything out of this. If you took a bag, the entire bag of Scrabble letters that, that comes in the game, and you mix them up, and then you threw them in the air and tossed them in a pile, the pile would be complex. But it probably would not form any letters or any sentences. So the existence of complex things is great, but the arrangement of the complex things helps us see that a creator was guiding the process all along. My wife is phenomenal at Scrabble. Uh, She's so good, we don't play Scrabble together anymore because I feel like, look, my ego is fragile, and I cannot handle being just absolutely destroyed time and time and time again. Um, But here's here's one of the last uh, thoughts on your sheet. Evolution cannot be responsible for the fine-tuning of the universe since the process of evolution requires the fine-tuning in order to work. It can't cause itself. So I'll say it again. Evolution cannot be responsible for the fine-tuning of the universe since the process of evolution requires the fine-tuning in order to work. This is called the infinite monkey principle, which is a crazy name for it, but I'll explain it. Evolutionists believe, and Richard Dawkins, I think, was one of the ones who specifically promoted this ridiculous idea of the infinite monkey. Evolutionists believe that if you gave a monkey a typewriter and he was bashing away on the typewriter for an infinite period of time, that he would eventually, though randomly, end up having typed Shakespeare's Hamlet. I kid you not. 
This is what they legitimately think. The probability of a monkey typing an exact, complete work such as Shakespeare's Hamlet is so tiny that the chance of its occurring during the supposed 13.8 billion years the universe has been in existence is so minuscule. But not necessarily zero. Because again, it's 13.8 billion years. But the reality that a monkey could live long enough to do such a thing, to even get one full sentence out, is absolutely zero. There's no possible way that a monkey in his lifetime could bash away randomly on a typewriter and get even one sentence out of Shakespeare's Hamlet. But even if he could, even if the concept were valid, in order for this to work, the monkey would need to make his own typewriter out of nothing. Because that's exactly what God did. He created everything out of nothing. Then the monkey would be on a level playing field with God. And we'll see who wins the contest. When you and I look at the various arguments for and against intelligent design, I believe any rational, any logical person can agree that the universe came into existence by the deliberate act of what is called a first cause. Logic and reason all lead to the conclusion that all the causes in the universe, planets moving, birds flying, ice melting, rain falling, they can all be explained by causes, which themselves are explained by causes, and so on and so on in a very long but finite line back to a first cause. Christians agree that this first cause is nothing other than the God of the Bible. The universe has purpose. It has evidence of purpose. It has evidence of design. It has evidence of complexity. And it all points to an intelligent, purposeful force that created everything. This purposeful force is the God of all creation, the God of the heavens and the earth, the king of the universe, as our Jewish brothers and sisters would say. Any questions? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, actually, I, I absolutely agree. I, I, I believe that it takes more faith to be an atheist than a Christian. Uh, because, I mean, you've got to look at all of the evidence and all of the logic. I mean, you know, they, they pride themselves on being people of logic and reason, and yet they don't even use it. Um, the, all the logic in the world, as you pointed out, entropy, it, it is losing heat over time. And um, so we see that, that life on earth began exactly when the earth could sustain life. And it didn't start with an amoeba and uh, work its way through over millions of years. If amoebas can become tadpoles, which can become frogs, which can become monkeys, which can become humans, why are there still amoebas? 
Why are there still tadpoles? Why, are there, why do we not see? And that, that, was the pro, that was the problem with Charles Darwin's argument is there have to be, uh, what did he call them, Tran, uh, transitional? There have to be uh, beings uh, in transition of evolution. You have to have that middle part. And there is no uh, middle part between a chimpanzee and a human. You're either one or the other. Now, we do share a lot of the same DNA, and that's perfectly fine. We share 80% of our DNA with a banana, but that doesn't mean we are fruit. We are very complex. A banana can't play the violin, can't write comedy, and neither can a chimpanzee. So if, the, if we evolved from chimpanzees or if, the, if evolution is true, then why do we not continue to see that? Now, we do see adaptation where you have a shark that can swim in fresh water and salt water. Why? Because their habitat was threatened, and over several generations they were able to adapt to a changing climate, a changing thing. Now, when things change too rapidly, they can't. But when they change gradually, they do adapt. Now, they would say, huh? Yeah, it's still a shark. It doesn't become a dolphin. You know, it doesn't become a blue whale. It doesn't say, you know what? I'm not feeling shark today. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look like a, I'm going to act like a goldfish so people get close to me and then I'll eat them. You know what I mean? There, there, aren't, there are no things that are in the process of evolution that are changing from one thing to another and and yet for some reason they believe that that is the case and that we're you know so any other questions or comments um yes uh through a couple different, we'll talk, uh, next week we'll talk about is the Bible reliable, um, and that's important for us because as we try to communicate our faith, okay, so we can prove that there is absolute truth, and we can talk about some of the other things, for instance, um, you know, the, the, uh, the existence of a universe, uh, but when we start to shift towards, okay, the God of the Bible, we have to understand and answer the question, is the Bible reliable? You have 66 books with 50-something authors, and um, so when you put all that together, um, how, how realistically reliable is the Bible? And what you'll find is the Bible is historically incredibly accurate. Um, and it's, it gives specific information that is easy to disprove if it's not accurate. And so we, we do obviously believe the Bible is reliable. And then we'll get into Jesus um, and, and things of that nature. So, um, yeah, yes. Uh, we will, in, in, some, in, in one of these, for sure. I can't, I'm trying to remember what last week's was. I can't remember what the topic of last week, and I should know because I taught it. But um, anyway, yeah, it was a senior moment. <clears throat> I did get my AARP application in the mail recently. I'm like, I think you're a little jump in the gun. I'm 43. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm probably never going to retire. I'm, I'm going to work till I die. I'm going to be up there preaching in that pulpit, and you're just going to wheel me out. Yeah, that's right. The more reasoning of the, of the, I think it was the more reasoning of the existence of God. So you have to go back and listen to that one. But thank you. Glad you were paying attention. <laughs> yeah. You pay, apparently you pay better attention than that. All right, why don't you stand? Let's close in prayer. Thank you guys for being here. I hope that it was helpful. hope that it was beneficial. hope that it was you know, um, understandable that that's the goal. I mean, I can give you a lot of information, but if, if it's not hitting, um, so I definitely tried to give you some examples to, to help you 
uh, soak it up and and uh, be able to also take that and communicate that to, uh, to other people as well. So let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you designed this universe with us in mind and that you created it uh, because you wanted to create a people uh, to love and that would love you and that you loved us enough to put these amazing things in place for us to see your hand at work. So many different fine-tuned elements that, re- that, that to us uh, unequivocally demonstrate that there is an intelligent designer. There is a creator who uh, put everything into existence. And so, Father, we thank you for your care, for your love for us, for um, just the incredible intelligence that you created this world with and that we get to see, and, and we believe that it bears witness to, uh, to your existence. Help us, Lord, communicate that in a loving way to people who may be skeptic, or maybe they're cynical, maybe they're atheist, uh, maybe they just don't know. And uh, help us communicate your existence, your truth, your love in a loving way with those we come in contact with. Uh, guide us and direct us, Lord. Bring us back to your house. Uh, excited to celebrate and worship you on Sunday. And uh, we love you, Lord. Be exalted in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.